Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 348. And tonight, we're on schedule for the return of Night Vale. We are recapping Welcome to Night Vale number 221, The Glow Cloud Explained. And I love the fact that you and I separately had the exact same reaction when we saw the title of this episode. Yes, we just looked at that and said, oh, wow, that should be interesting. Oh, no, wait. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, because... It means Dr. LaBelle has set her sights on the glow cloud. Everything else that she has explained, like Sarah Sultan. Um, what else did she explain that she got rid of? Certainly the uh, she explained away the tarot reader, I believe. I think she did, yeah. Um, I can't remember what else she's done. I think Sarah Sultan, the fist-sized river rock, has been her only murder up to this point. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Anytime she explains something in Night Vale, and she is determined to explain all of Night Vale, she basically just takes all of the mystery out of it. It doesn't really exist anymore. And so when she announced that she was going after the glow cloud, Cecil's like on the radio going, this is an emergency. Yes, it tells everybody to go grab something you can use as a weapon and get out on the streets right now. I will be with you as soon as I finish the radio program, which I got to wonder if he would have made any difference in the angry crowd at the end of the episode, but maybe, maybe not. It sounds like Lubell is not one to shy away from an angry crowd. Yep, yep, yep. But Cecil's got his priorities, so he goes into the radio program. And the first thing up is that he has heard from Bansky. Now, Bansky, Jared Bansky. No, Banksy, Bansky. (laughs) Was the muralist who made all the weird murals in town. And that the murals, when they started flaking away, they revealed like living flesh underneath and they've continued to flake away and so now the buildings are kind of half organic but nobody could ask Bansky about it because he disappeared. Well, Cecil was able to reach him and Bansky was just too, too busy to actually call him or do a phone call or anything so he sent him a text to voice message and it's that weird Mm -hmm. computerized voice and it was basically him saying that he is off on a very nice vacation and he will probably be on his very nice vacation for the rest of his life or all eternity it's really nice here and it's just i don't know what it's almost like what someone would say if they're trapped somewhere and they're being forced at gunpoint to say how nice things are. Yeah, which would explain why he didn't actually speak the message he did the text thing. But um, yeah, he just says, don't ever try to find me. You will never find me. And, you know, the pool is delicious. And that was the thing that Cecil thought was weird. He's like, I don't know why he'd say the pool is delicious, but that's Jared. Jared's always crazy like that. <laughs> we follow that up with another recorded message. And it's Dr. Lubell who left a voicemail. And she she is so cheery, and I love how the voice actress just nails the menace in her tone with her still being so chipper. Oh, yeah. But she called and said, hi, Cecil. I heard your radio message. I didn't really appreciate the tone. But she's basically saying nothing's going to stop her. She is going to continue to explain everything until there's not an ounce of poetry left. And because she apparently has some moral problem against mystery and unexplained things. So she's just going to do it. And if anyone gets in her way, then she might explain them too. Man. Yeah. When she said she was going to take all the poetry out of everything, she followed that up with poetry is a fancy word that means ignorance. I'm like, oh God, she's one of those. Holy crap. Sure sounds like it. Yeah. Lots of threats. So we go from there to the sponsors and the sponsors is Applebee's. And I swear, I mean... Night Vale has always had an axe to grind about various things, but certainly they've been taking on a lot of 
I don't know, inequalities in the economy. Mm-hmm. And basically, they're saying about Applebee's is, you know, we have an offer for you. The offer is plate of food. What do we want for this? We want not enough money. And it just goes into all the things that has to go into all this fancy food that you get in Applebee's. And there's no possible way that the money we're asking for is enough to pay for all these things and to give the people working there a living wage. And I'm like, they're right. They are. Yeah. Well, I've heard people complain about something similar about tipping Mm. that, you know, well, I sometimes don't tip because I can't really afford to tip. If you can't afford to tip, then you really can't afford to be eating at a restaurant where your food is prepared for you. That's just kind of, it's part and parcel. And I think the people who are complaining, if we give people a living wage, then we're going to have to pay more for our food. Well, perhaps that's a balance. I mean, it's not like people are going to be starving to death if they can't go get a cheap burger at Applebee's or McDonald's or wherever. You know, and... They don't tip in other countries the way we do here. Right. And the fact that it's established now that tipping is like 18% minimum, you should always do 18%, and then extra if they did a good job, we probably wouldn't need to do that if the people who were giving us our food were actually paid what they needed to, to survive. So maybe we could just, you know, people worried about their food being more expensive. I'm like, well, then you probably wouldn't need to tip, you know? Um, anyway, it's just, it's really, it, it, I mean, they're absolutely correct on that one. And I remember hearing somebody here in San Diego, who somebody they knew was running a restaurant, and they were saying, blah, 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 and you know, the price increases for wages and everything. And we just wouldn't be able to run our restaurant at that thing. And I'm just like, well, then that means you don't have a sustainable business. You know, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a it goes all the way back to that whole Walmart thing that if a huge percentage of your employees are either working multiple jobs or on welfare in order to survive, you're not paying them enough. And basically, the welfare is being given to the corporation because, you know, that's they're the ones that are cheating people out of money. I'm sorry, we should not have gotten off into a political comment. But basically, the tagline of the the Applebee's ad was it was kind of like um, one of it was not your problem. And also try not to think about it. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like not your problem. It's someone's problem. It'll be everyone's problem eventually. But yeah, it's not your problem right now. So, ugh. Ugh, so true. So we go straight from there to traffic. And traffic is basically like, we have too much traffic. You know how we could solve traffic? More lanes. Well, here we go. (laughs) Because it was just like, oh, we could have four lanes. Oh, but there's still traffic. 16 lanes. But people are still getting in traffic. And it just keeps escalating until it's like the entire planet is nothing but lanes. Your entire journey can be from one side of the highway to the other, a constant series of putting on your left blinker and checking over your shoulder. And that, anyone who's driven with me knows, or have me as a passenger while they're driving knows, I want to be in the lane that I will be turning from as soon as possible. And if someone else is driving, I will be telling them, you need to get over into the other lane. It's really freaking annoying. So that sounds nightmarish, the idea that your entire trip is changing lanes. Ah! God, oh God, oh God, it's (laughs) awful. It does remind me, if you've never looked at this before, there's a term called Sneckdown, S-N-E-K-D-O-W-N. One word, look up that hashtag on Twitter. It's the idea that when it snows, you look at the streets in town and see where people are actually driving. And it's kind of the idea that 
When it snows, people drive slower, people drive a little bit less, and you see how much of the street is actually being used and how much we could probably take away the rest of the street, make pedestrian areas, green spaces, whatever. So it's, um, yeah, just look online. People do these really great animations where they show like, here's what the snack down is. And then they put up these little animations of like pedestrian paths and trees and flowers and shrubs and everything. It's a very interesting idea. Yes, we have too many roads in this world. We don't need any more roads. No. And adding more roads never seems to help. When we increase the size of the highway, it just means more people on the highway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Cecil has said, despite our best efforts, science is continuing at the university. And he's like, and not the good science, like what Carlos does. Yeah, he's definitely has an axe to grind against uh, Lubell, obviously. But he also wants to keep making these distinctions between her science and Carlos's science. And I can't remember if this was the point of the episode where he talks about how Carlos has a respect for the mystery. And yet Lubell, all she does is a cold dissection. Yep, yep, yep. He said that she wants to look under every stone despite what delicate ecological system might be under that stone so it's um yeah he he likes carlos's science where it's beakers and those two little antennas with a little electricity up going warp 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 and i'm like yes i know exactly the type of science that cecil means we go from there to the community calendar yay all right tonight is a roundtable discussion uh there is no idea what the subject is going to be no one made any arrangements there's just been this general call to show up at a certain time and just start arguing the heck out of something with somebody else. Yep, yep. I had written down, um, there's a meeting for no reason, just argue. (laughs) Uh, Thursday is going to be a sunrise. Um, That's a very important thing. There's only 365 of those a year and only so many years in your life. So maybe you should get up and see that. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. That is a way of looking at it, yes. Yes. Now, did you write down the details for Friday night? Because I don't know that I got it like enough granular detail to really talk about it intelligently. Yes. Well, it's a Shabbos walk. Um, it's meditation and prayer and a lot of exotic birds. There is a minimum number of birds. You have to have at least 10 exotic birds for a Jewish prayer. I was not aware of that, were you? I think that would make Jewish prayer really um, interesting. And loud. <laughs> I'm going to be very loud. Loud and an awful lot of pooping, I think. Yes. Yes, I don't know. Jewish friends, please uh, weigh in on that one. I feel like there's maybe an in-joke that we're missing on that. <laughs> uh, Saturday, uh, there's a room in your house where you urinate into clean water and immediately replace it with more clean water. Isn't that hilarious? Don't ask why. We've just always done it that way. And I'm like, oh, God, they've really multiple axes to grind in this one. But they're not wrong. No, they're not wrong. I just wrote down toilets. What's that about? <laughs> it's very true. I have seen some they do have like waterless toilets or it's like it uses much less water because it uses really powerful suction and i was just like as if a lot of us didn't have this vague fear of toilets to begin with oh my goodness i do see the ones they have uh in some of the public buildings around here the ones with the two different uh yes. plungers yes so you can do yes. one for pee and one for poo i never really notice a difference uh when no. i press either of them sometimes i wonder if it's like those little um on the crosswalk little buttons you press to make it hurry up to change the light like does it actually do anything i don't know maybe it just makes us feel better yeah maybe i don't know uh, Sunday is a market, one of those cool, like, downtown markets. They're going to be selling trinkets and donuts, apparently. And Monday is going to be a repeat of February 7th, 1994. 
Um, there were some errors when we did that the first time, so we're going to do it again, and we're going to keep doing it until we get it right. 1994, so we were in college by that point. Yes, we were, actually. I wonder what was going on. Wouldn't it be funny if we found out what day that was? I would not be at all surprised if that was the time we went to the um, parkway at 10 o'clock at night to pick blackberries with a votive candle. Oh, it could be, because that was sometime junior or senior year. I don't it know. Was. It was. <laughs> That would be a fun evening to repeat until we got it right. But Nathan would just insist that we take a flashlight, but whatever. Um, Tuesday is the day of rendering, which possibly has some good meanings. I was just thinking about what you do with fat. So there you go. All right. Um, Lubell has apparently finished her science despite all the protests, and she's going to make an announcement. So Cecil wants everybody to rush down to the station for the university of what it is. And meanwhile, he's going to throw us to the weather. Yep. And the weather was Black Eye Blue by Shotgun Marmalade, which is a fun name for a band. And I, it was very bouncy. We were definitely bouncing along with it. It was reggae adjacent is my notes here. Ah, nice. I actually went to their website and their description that they consider themselves to be indie punk ska. And I was like, yes, yes, yeah. that also works. Yeah, it was yeah, very happy, good. but it was all also very ominous, you know, sort of the idea of what are you going to do when all your days run out, yeah. when the lights go out, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So we come back from the weather and it goes straight into Dr. LaBelle giving her announcement. And she's just, oh, she's so condescending and smarmy. And she's saying, you know, and cheery at the same time. And she's saying, oh, you're all shouting. You're so enthusiastic. Good energy. Oh, and you're throwing things. That's energy I'm less excited about. But, you know, still good, good effort there, you know. And anyway, um, yeah, she uh, releases her results of having studied the glow cloud. And it is definitely a cloud. Yes, it is. And sometimes light will shine through the water droplets in a cloud, and it will give it that glowing effect, which is pretty. Nobody's arguing that it's not pretty, but um, pretty doesn't really have any scientific meaning. And Mm -hmm. the animals, the dead animals that the glow cloud drops everywhere it goes, that was an exciting mystery she wanted to look into. But there's this well-known weather phenomenon where dust devils and other vortexes will just pull animals and fish and birds, whatever, up into the air and then drop them. Yep. And that's pretty much it. Yep. And the whole thing where people always have to chant when the glow cloud's around, she says that's group hysteria. It's well-documented. happens in a lot of cases. So there you go. But it's also a social gathering type of thing. So good for you guys for participating in that. Oh, God. So she's like, well, there we go. That's all it is. It's just a cloud. So on to the next thing. And... And the next thing, and the next thing, until she has explained everything in Night Vale. Yeah. And we had a very poignant um, epilogue from Cecil about the glow cloud that is no longer the glow cloud. He is he is yep. standing under the glow cloud, or he is standing under a cloud that is glowing. And it has been part of Night Vale for 10 years. It has been mm-hmm. woven into the fabric of the community, and now it's gone. And somebody's going to have to tell the glow cloud's child, who's off oh, at college man. right now, and going to have to deliver this information that the cloud is, is no more. Yeah, he said that Dr. LaBelle is rendered it inert. It is now just a temporary arrangement of water. But speaking as a temporary arrangement of water myself, I grieve. And I was like, oh, oh. yeah, that's right. We are all we are all temporary arrangement of water, aren't we? Oh, my goodness. So he, he can say the words, all hail the glow cloud, and all of the other things that everyone would chant, but it no longer has any power. But he wants to honor the glow cloud as it as it breaks up into smaller clouds and, and floats away and, and turns into rain. And it's all just so beautiful. You really need to listen to this. Because, I mean, 
God bless him. Uh, Cecil, the voice actor, just really nails the pathos in this one. And who knew? I mean, he even mentions in his little speech that the glow cloud was like a monster when we first met it, you know, 10 years ago, but it's become part of the town. He's like, I honor it as, well, not as a friend, exactly. You know? <laughs> and then he's like, once again, he talks about they can't let Dr. LaBelle do this. You know, he said, we are a dangerous town. So there's a very much a very much a threat in there and he says you know stay tuned next for silence two solid weeks of silence and then improbably noise and and a very threatening all hail night vale all hail like oh beautiful (laughs) just amazing yeah it was a good episode it really was but again who knew that we would actually feel sad for the glow cloud? You know, that's just the fact that we can be like, oh my God, the glow cloud's gone. Holy cow. You know? I mean, I was surprised when we felt sad about Sarah Sultan, the fist sized river rock being basically dead after a Lubell explained her away. But this was just, yeah. And I remember was, was the glow cloud from the first episode? I think it might've been. Mm, it was certainly the, in the first three, at least. Yeah. yeah. Remember, it's so. just been here yeah. forever. So, Ugh. And I, sometimes I do wonder if this is a might be a little bit of re, a um, a response to people who want things explained in Night Vale. They want to oh, know who's yeah. behind the secret police. They want to know what the you know, government helicopters are all about. You know who pays the menacing government agency to spy on us. They want to know all these different things. And it's like, well, you know, a huge part of Night Vale has always been the weird-ass stuff that never gets explained. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Hannah always points that out in a lot of movies where it's always best if you just don't explain stuff. Yeah. Just have really weird stuff happen and then walk away. It's terrifying when that happens because you're like, we're not going to know? Okay. (laughs) So much better. So that's it for Night Vale this week. I believe you uh, watched, did you watch more Umbrella Academy? I watched two episodes of Umbrella Academy. Ooh. I would like to finish up everything before June because I don't know, when is season four set to be released? I don't know. Sometime I don't know. this I year, I think. Up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what happened in the two episodes you watched? Okay, well, we got to find out the sort of like 1960s origin story for Klaus, and that was great because, of course, yes. he's dumped in the 1960s. He's basically being a bum that doesn't care, and he's like getting food from diners and getting thrown thrown out when he can't pay and he gets thrown at the feet of this woman this elderly woman who is just instantly smitten with Klaus because of course Mm -hmm. you know he's a nice looking guy and he's also I mean it looks so helpless and she holds out her hand to pick him up and the first thing he sees is a gigantic diamond ring on her hand and then he's all over her and they're walking away hand in hand you see Ben standing off to one side really (laughs) (laughs) yes really (laughs) and that's the start of that with you know obviously Obviously, he now has backing from a woman who's just all about him. And he also has Ben, who he found out in the first season, Ben can move objects. So Ben will pick him up and levitate him in front of a crowd. And from there, it is just... It is just a short step to cult leader. And I did love... I mean, when Ben was, like, obviously you know, losing his grip and Klaus drops, but you switch to another scene and he drops down in the top of this car, this truck, whatever, that's driving down the road in Mexico. And it's all decorated with flowers and they're beautiful people. And the whole thing is filled with pillows. I'm like, that is such a nice image. Oh man, Klaus, you got to know if you want to be part of a cult, you want to be part of Klaus's cult. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but he bolted, uh, I guess, cause he got, 
tired of all the attention, but he also needed to get back to Dallas because he, okay, so this really, this really kind of blew my mind. Uh, season one, he accidentally takes a trip with the time traveling suitcase. Does he yes. come back that episode or the next episode? Um, I, th- I want to say it's that episode. That episode. It's so jarring because you suddenly realize how much time was in between when he disappeared and when he came back. It didn't seem like much to us, but to him, it was a really long time. So yeah, he went to Vietnam and he ends up in the army and, you know, in between horrible, you know, firefights, whatever, he has one hell of a time, you know, partying with all the other soldiers and he meets another soldier, David, and they fall in love. And it's yeah. not it's not a you know him crushing on someone who's obviously straight. No, David was in love with him too. And oh, it's yeah. it's so touching and David dies in Vietnam and Klaus remembers David telling him when he enlisted. So he yeah. has come back to Dallas to stop that from happening. But he doesn't know how because he David is just somebody who works at a paint store and he's got a horrible homophobic uncle who obviously has David under his thumb and finally goads David into punching Klaus, whereupon Klaus goes to the local liquor store and goes on a bender. Oh, my goodness. That whole... Once again, the music in this series is always so fun. I mean, no matter what it is. But that whole scene of him just filling up the cart with all the alcohol and everything. There was some really good music playing during Yeah, and dancing the whole way. Dancing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there's that. Um, Then there is Vanya, who was attacked by those three um, uh, Nordic assassins. Yeah. But she she manages to, like, figure out her power and knock somebody away and creates a crop circle around her. So she knows she's got that going on. Five finds her. Five... Five is always seeing the big picture. He has no interest in any other human concerns. No, so it's always no. like, we don't have time to go back to the people who cared for you. We don't have time for this. We it's just like no care whatsoever. So, but in the meantime, the, the second episode that I watched ended with her starting a relationship with the woman who took her in, which is yeah. obviously very sweet. And yeah. because she, she saves the life of her little um, son who like wandered into a pond and she blows the pond away in order to drag him out. And then something happens magically where she revives him, which I don't yeah. think anybody knew that she could do. It's always been like a force for destruction yeah. with her yeah. power before. Well, nobody's ever explored her power. It always frightened her father so much that he completely had to just, you know, pretend that it didn't exist, which, well, that worked out really well. So, yeah, who knows what she can do? Oh, that was something that, uh, another thing that blew my mind in season one, Grace. The whole reason why their android mother, Grace, existed was they needed somebody to be a nanny to Vanya that she wouldn't accidentally kill, which she did with a bunch of nannies. And then we find out in the second episode I watched this time that Grace is actually, I don't know if if their father took her body or just patterned the android after her, but he was his paramour in the 1960s. Hmm? So, and, you know, Diego bumps into her and he's kind of freaked out. Yeah, because Diego always like, I mean, their mother, the android in present day, was always so kind to Diego, just the one loving spot in his entire family, basically. So he's always really loved her more than anybody else. So seeing her back in the 60s, he's like, uh, mom? mom? And she's like, what? No, no. <laughs> now, there was another thing. Speaking of Diego, you found out something else this episode. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't I the look on your face right there where you're like, did I? Oh my god, yeah, that's right, I did. Yes. Okay. So Diego and it's Lila is yeah. the uh, the crazy woman that he escaped from the asylum with. 
So she's been like, okay, of course they have sex and they're obviously very much into each other. And she's just kind of wacky and straightforward and seems to be accepting all of this stuff going on with his powers and his weird ass family and time travel and everything. Well, she gets up in the middle of the night and goes to a hotel and she opens up the hotel. Everything's really nice. And she is calling out to somebody in the other room and it's the handler. Yep. And I'm just like, oh, I was waiting for this, that she's been paid, she's been hired, she's a double agent, something like that. And she calls out, can we get some pancakes? I'm starving. And the handler comes out and says, absolutely, you've earned it. And Lila stands up and says, thanks, mom. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was, (laughs) I just, I don't know how the writers did that, but they managed to nail the one series of words that would be more surprising than anything else with that ending. I know. Like the entire time she's been, she's really good at fighting. And yeah, she's really accepting of everything that's going on. So you're like, oh, yeah, something's going on. But that little wrinkle, I did not see coming. Nope, nope, nope. Oh, God, what else? Um, Let's see. Luther has managed to completely torpedo his entire life because he went to try to see Allison and found out she's married. Yeah. And so, I mean, the the second episode I watched ended with him and this conspiracy theory guy that they're, you know, hanging around with, like saying, do you want to have some nitrous? And Luther's like, ah. And the next thing you know, they're just both laughing hysterically. So I like that scene, too. (laughs) (laughs) But... Ugh, the problem with Luther going to see Allison is that he tell he meets her husband when she's not there and says, you know, I'm her brother. And he's already met Klaus, who also said that he was her brother. And they managed to go ahead with the sit-in that they had planned at the uh, the cafe, at the the lunch diner. And it's it's really brutal. I mean, everybody's being horrible. And that's always something that scared me in a lot of pictures from that time period. I mean, what people went through was horrible. But then you just see the looks of rage on people's yeah. faces. And sometimes this, like, pride they have in their eyes that, like, I'm just absolutely justified in being this awful. So, yeah, and that was terrible. And everything goes horribly wrong. And it ends with her husband Raymond being beaten to death by a cop in the process of beating him to death. And she has to do the, I heard a rumor thing at him to make him stop. And her husband sees that, but he didn't hear what she said. And he had heard her say, I heard a rumor like earlier to try to stop him from getting arrested, but she stopped herself because she's been trying not to do that. Okay. So he's gone the entire night after he runs away from her because he doesn't know what's happening. Well, she goes back to the the beauty parlor where they have the meetings to confront him because he's there having a meeting and he's being very cold and he's obviously pissed at her. And I'm just like, what, why is he, none of this really, this attitude really seems right. And they go outside and he tries to get her to say what she said to the police officer again. And she, she won't. And he just looks at her and said, what did they pay you? And I'm like, that's why he's not scared, because he thinks he's figured it out. He thinks that she's a plant. Yeah. I mean, honestly, most people wouldn't go to some type of supernatural thing instantly. You know, they're not going to guess that. Obviously, it makes so much sense. You know, a black woman gets a white guy, a white police officer to stop beating her husband. Yeah, it's planned, you know? Yeah, and people coming to the house saying that, you know, they're her brother. I mean, it's like, oh, my God, is that is that a code word or just a really bad lie? Yeah. Also, yeah, it's like it's your brother, but he was obviously like a kicked puppy when he found out that you were married. So he's not (laughs) buying that it's like brother. And I'm like, well, it is and it isn't, you know, but it's just, yeah, that got complicated fast. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, and this whole thing is they're trying to figure out what their father has planned in the 1960s. And this is before any of them were even a concept, I don't think. And they like track him down to this party and have this big fight with all the assassins and everything. And then they see his father and his, you know, lover, Grace, getting into a car, and Five shouts something at him. And I couldn't see if it was in German, but there wasn't any subtitles. So I don't know what it was he shouted, but it was obviously something that resonated with their father. And I just, I loved the way the actor who plays Five delivered that line, because he was so confident. And like, maybe someone who speaks German knows whether his pronunciation was good or bad, but it really sounded like he knew what he was saying right there. Yeah. Klaus is my favorite of the show. I just love and adore him. But I really do think the actor playing Five is, I mean... It's he, I'm sure he's not as young as the character, but he is still very young. But he is a really solid actor. I mean, he just, you believe that there is this like 50 year old man stuck in this little body and he just sells it every time he's on screen. And there's zero awkwardness. I mean, he just, no, yeah. even if he knows what he's saying is going to come across as sounding ridiculous, he didn't care. Nope, 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 nope. That was a lot for two episodes. That was a lot of stuff went down. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on. They don't really have a lot of slow episodes of this show. I don't, I mean, it, it definitely doesn't seem to suffer from the Netflix bloat thing the way some shows do. I'm sure if I were to watch it, I'd probably find some some things like I would know now, well, that wasn't necessary that, but it's kind of hard to do that when you don't know what's going to end up being important later on. (laughs) Yes, because it's all weird. Yeah, all weird. Well, what I watched is several more episodes of The Hunters. And I have to say, it's just like last week. It's a very well-written show, extremely well-produced, very well-acted, all of that. It's the subject matter. I mean, my God, anybody who's a Holocaust denier is just a fucking monster because I'm sure some of the stuff that we're seeing is not nearly as brutal as what actually happened at the camps. So, I mean, it's just really, really hardcore stuff. I don't know what it is. It still hasn't really sucked me in completely. You know, I'll finish watching an episode. I'm like okay, um, maybe I'll watch another episode tomorrow. You know, I haven't had this moment where I'm like, oh, I got to watch an episode right now. It's good. But yeah, if I get to the end of this season, and it still hasn't gotten me anymore, I really can't justify jumping into another season if this one doesn't do it for me. You know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, it sounds like people who aren't as sci-fi and fantasy centric as you and I are might actually get more out of this series. Could be, could be. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's, uh, once again, a lot of moving pieces. We're finding stuff out as the characters are finding stuff out. It's a lot of mystery going on. So there is a ton of good stuff. I honestly wondered if Nathan would enjoy it. But I usually think about that as anybody who's studied a lot of history the way Nathan does. I'm like, oh, hey, this is World War II and Nazis. You'd like Nazis, right? I don't know if that's necessarily so. He is currently rereading Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Oh, wow. Because he likes to, I mean, there's a lot of parallels of stuff going on right now. So he wanted to read that. So who knows? Maybe this sort of thing would just be exactly what he wants to watch right now. But in addition to all of the other things. We still haven't finished watching Sandman, and that came up uh-huh. in another podcast that's coming up. Oh, uh, yes. We wanted to uh, sort of like, we're going to have a little tie-in with another podcast. So let me see if I can remember everybody's name. Poncho and Lefty and the amazing Rando, they have a podcast <laughs> called Midlife Crisis Task Force, and we are doing a crossover with them. We got together and we recorded one episode talking about all the DC stuff that's coming out because there was an announcement. You can look on the site. I have a list of all the stuff that's coming out. Um, and it kind of like it was all of our thoughts about do we care? I guess, you know? <laughs> in some cases, the answer is 
really? No, no. And and sometimes we do wonder if DC even has a plan, or are they yeah. just reacting to what Marvel is doing? It does seem like it sometimes. So, but yeah, it was. Um, despite the fact that there's a lot of DC stuff that I haven't watched, I felt I was surprised. I was like, oh, I do have opinions on things. But <laughs> when do I not have opinions on things? Come on. <laughs> but yeah, so we did that. And uh, we're going to record another one on our channel coming up. And that is where we will discuss all the Marvel stuff that's coming out soon. And I'm sure Ooh, we will boy. have a lot of stuff. Because I'm looking here at a list that I wrote down of all the upcoming stuff. And my God, there's like, hang on, one, two, three, four, five. There's six TV shows coming out in 2023. That is an insane number of TV shows. And with all of the movies that are coming out in 23, 24, and 25, there literally doesn't seem like there's enough hours in a day to catch up with everything before more stuff comes out. It's just... I I mean, there are things that I probably ought to check out. I mean, the... um, uh, Ms. Marvel TV show, uh, very yeah, yeah. highly regarded, and they're going to be the Marvels is one of the movies that's coming out, and Brie Larson is coming back. I'm like, great! Yay. I thought she'd gotten driven off of the show by like you know fanboy hatred, but apparently not. Thank God! I thought she was great in uh, um, Captain Marvel. I love that movie. I thought that was great. So yeah, but we yeah. will definitely be discussing all of that stuff with the Midlife Crisis Task Force when we get around to that. Yes, yes, I am. Man, I know one thing I've got to watch, have to, have to, have to, and that is Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think it finally hit Disney+. Plus. Yes. So that's another, I would like to have seen it in the theater. I don't know, maybe they're going to show it, you know, because Oscar's coming up and everything. But in the end, if I have to sit and watch it on a small computer screen, that doesn't make me mad. I know some people are just like, if I can't see it on the screen like God intended, I'm not going to watch it. I'm like, no, I'll watch it wherever. It's fine. With my stupid glasses, sometimes that feels a little bit more satisfying when I watched on a computer screen because I can lean right up close to the screen and see things. (laughs) Just like watching things at home. I'm like, when did this living room get so long? God, I'm too far away from the damn TV. Oh, man, I got my. Uh, I use my driving glasses when I'm at a movie theater nowadays. It really works very well. Oh, that's the one okay. where I had the um because we have a problem with doubled vision and you put like a prism effect on the glasses. But the eye doctors never want to go too intense with the prism because once your eyes get used to it, they can't go back from it. But I was getting to where I couldn't drive anymore because I couldn't see what lane the car in front of me was in. You know, Ooh. it's just way yeah, not fun. Um, so I asked for a pair of glasses just for driving where I would go nuclear with the prism effect, and that's what he did. And it's great for movies too. Feels way better to watch them like that. Okay. Highly recommend. Yeah, well, I may have to have that in my uh, future because it's annoying. (laughs) It's annoying. Oh, my goodness. Anything else you wanted to talk about, about nerd stuff this week? No, I think that's pretty much it. Um, Just got to try to catch up on Umbrella Academy. Got to do more than one episode a week. Mm -hmm. Definitely keep this up. Well, that will wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries, or fan art galleries. Oh, we did have one photo gallery. I put up pictures from the Sketch Party San Diego, which is at the Whistle Stop in um, South Park. It's a very, it's a small bar in the kind of a very trendy area of um, San Diego, but not like hoity-toity trendy. It's very comfortable and laid back. And you go into this bar 
the first and third Tuesdays of the month, and they cover all the tables with paper. And they have some pens and pencils you can use if you want, or lots of people bring in their own. And everybody just gets in there and buys beer and sits at the tables and just draws stuff. And I love your pictures of your sketches. And I love the um, the final work that you did, the draw this in your style, because it was oh, yeah. all foxes. Oh, yeah, there was, um, I think the woman's name on... I think it's Vasanova, I think is her name. And she was the one who had the challenge. She had these beautiful pictures of foxes. But that's another thing. If you've never done a draw this in your style, if you're looking to just draw some more, check out the DTIYS hashtag on Instagram. Lots of people with prompts. Sometimes it tends to be skewed towards cutesy girls with like wings and band-aids on their faces and everything. I don't know. But you can find some interesting stuff and then just do your own take on it. Very fun. Anyway, all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So next week, we'll have Laura Olympus. Thank God. I really oh, need to find out geez. what's happening on Laura Olympus. I really, I'm, I'm taking a look at the preview images and trying to figure out something from it. And I just, I'm worried how long this particular element with Demeter is going to go on. Oh, man. I just, it wouldn't be realistic for her to catch a clue immediately. However, look at Zeus. You know, after Cronus was killed, he immediately did a 180 on his whole thing about Hades and Persephone. So maybe Demeter will do something the same. Yeah, the um, uh, the Laura Olympians uh, Instagram feed, uh, they do a recap every week. And they mentioned mm-hmm. Demeter's going to have to hit rock bottom before she can start improving. So this might be like the start of her redemption arc. Um, oh, well, looking forward to that, if that's the case. Yeah, please. But... Oh, so that'll be next week. And of course, if you watch any more Umbrella Academy, we'll do that. And maybe I can talk a little bit about Sense8 because I'm rewatching that series. I was hoping I would like it better the second time around. We'll see. But um, (laughs) one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. Shy away from an angry cry. Shy away from an angry. Golly, let me try that again. Shy. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Sorry.